Hey, good morning, everybody. Great to see you guys. Great to have you here today. This is going to be a fun day uh, for several reasons, but uh, it's going to be a fun day because we have a guest preacher with us, Mr. Tom Schneller. And I really shouldn't call him a guest because he is a longtime member of Plum Creek. He's uh, been a leader here in several different capacities, and he's a leader of a mission organization as well. And and before we hear from Tom, we're going to take just a couple minutes to get caught up in God's kingdom story. As many of you know, we've spent several months going through the big story of the Bible from creation to Christ. And two weeks ago, Resurrection Day, we talked about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Today, we're going we're to take the story of God's kingdom right up to the present. We're going to cover about 2,000 years here. And uh, it's going to be kind of a tag team sermon. I'll share just very briefly about how the church began. And then Tom will come and share uh, some of the things that God has done over the years and what he's doing in the world today. So let's dive in. We'll start in the days right after Jesus rose from the dead. And this was a unique period in history. It's kind of this in-between time between the resurrection and the time when Jesus ascended into heaven. This is about a 40-day period here. And over those 40 days, Jesus appeared to his disciples multiple times. He showed them that he wasn't some hallucination. He wasn't some ghost. He really died, and he really rose from the dead. And when the disciples came to that realization, they were overjoyed. They were so glad to have Jesus back. But they were a little confused about what would happen next. So Jesus, in his final conversations with them before he left this world, he cleared things up and he gave them some instructions. Uh, We see some of those instructions in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, Many of us are familiar with this passage. We often call it the Great Commission. So Matthew 28 verse 18, this is where Jesus came to those disciples and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has authority over literally everything. Therefore, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So it's like Jesus is saying, hey guys, I'm about to leave, but you need to continue this work that I started. You're about to take this thing worldwide. It's a big task. This is the task we call the Great Commission, uh, the, the primary task that Jesus gave his followers. There's another one of these final conversations over in the book of Acts, chapter 1, And that's where uh, the disciples gather around Jesus, Acts 1 verse 6, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still a little confused here. It's like they're saying, hey Jesus, now that you're alive again, is it finally time to kick the Romans out of our land? Is it time for the beatdowns to begin? Please say yes. Jesus is like, ah. I'm sure he would have been frustrated. Guys, don't you remember? My kingdom is not of this world. But then here's what he does say. Verse 7, Jesus said to the disciples, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but 
You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Now think about this. Jesus is is going to this group of very ordinary people. And he's giving them a very big task to uh, go make disciples of all nations. Take this movement out to the ends of the earth. Do you know how ludicrous that would have sounded? These guys were uneducated. They, They weren't wealthy. They didn't have power. They didn't have the kind of leadership skills you would expect for for taking this movement worldwide. So how would they do that? Well, what did Jesus say? He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. He knows this is not a a maybe, like I hope they'll accomplish this task, that they might accomplish this task. Jesus knows the Holy Spirit is coming. The presence of God will be with these disciples in the form of His Spirit, empowering them, encouraging them, comforting them, teaching them, reminding them of what Jesus said. So this is how the disciples did what they did. It was the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And at the end of those 40 days, Jesus left. He ascended into heaven. Shortly after that, the Holy Spirit showed up, just as Jesus said. And he he showed up in a big way. And then right after that, the church began. And we need to get the picture here. On the day the church started... Peter, the Apostle Peter, he stands up in the city of Jerusalem in front of this big crowd, this Jewish crowd, and he starts preaching about Jesus. And I'm telling you, Peter was bold. Just not long before this, he he was denying Jesus. He, He was not courageous. But here, man, listen to how courageous he is. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. He said, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. In other words, you helped kill the Son of God. You were accomplices to His murder. That is some in-your-face preaching right there. And Jesus put Himself in, or Peter put Himself in danger, didn't He? Because that crowd could have turned against Him in the same way that they turned against Jesus. But that's not what happened. In Acts uh, 2.37, says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They knew they had messed up big time. They had sinned against God in about the worst way you could sin. And they were desperate to fix their broken relationship with God. They were finally ready to hear the truth that God wanted them to hear. So they said, what do we do? And Peter says, well, here's what you need to do. Repent, turn away from your sin, and be baptized, immersed in water, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then what happened next? It's an awesome thing. It says, those who accepted his message were baptized And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That was the beginning of the church. It was a huge beginning. But it was only the beginning. 
That, that work has continued up to the present day. We just saw someone baptized first service. This is still going on. God has partnered with his church over the years to build his kingdom and to lead people to new life in Jesus. What started 2,000 years ago continues here in the present. Now, over the centuries, uh, the church has gone through some tough times. Uh, some of the challenges have been external, like persecution, which is still happening in the world. Some of the challenges have been internal, like division and scandals and people who have distorted the message of Christ. However, Jesus said something amazing. He said, the gates of hell will never prevail against my church. And guess what? He was right. Because despite all of the challenges, despite all of the obstacles, there has always been a true church. Not everyone who has claimed to be Christian actually were followers of Jesus. But there has always been a true church living out the gospel, doing the work that God called us to do. Followers of Christ are still carrying out this mission, sharing God's love through our words, through our actions. We, we take the good news all over the world to the ends of the earth. We're going to pursue this mission until everyone has heard. And with that, it's time to bring Tom up here. So we're going to tag out, and let's welcome Tom this morning. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate it. Kind of feel like I'm in a uh, WWE wrestling tag team match, right? Uh, we're going after a, not a physical enemy, but a spiritual enemy, so I guess we are in a tag team match here. Well, uh, today's lesson 15, topic 15 of our 16-week journey as we look at God's kingdom story. And today, uh, really excited to share about the growing kingdom. As we uh, think about this concept of the growing kingdom, I want us to, to go back a little bit from history and uh, bring us up to the present where the scriptures that Doug has shared with us today. Uh, first thing that I'd like for us to keep in mind as we begin looking at the growing kingdom, help if I turn this on, as we look at the growing kingdom, we see that God's kingdom uh, on earth actually started way back in the Old Testament. It isn't a New Testament concept only. Often we think about the kingdom of God at the time of Jesus forward. But in reality, the kingdom of God started way back in the peoples of the Old Testament. Because if we put into context the idea of the kingdom, if you remember 15 weeks ago, Doug shared with us a definition of the kingdom. God's kingdom is where his something and something exists. Now, you didn't know you were going to have a pop quiz today, but nonetheless, hopefully it's, it's not the first service, you know, you'd have an excuse. But second service here, you're, you're fully awake, you've had your coffee and maybe even second cup. So those of you that remember back some 15 weeks ago, as we began this series on the kingdom what was the definition that he gave us? The kingdom of God is where what and what of God's, uh, that God exists. What, what, what were those two words that we filled in in this blank? His reign and rule. Awesome. Very good. The kingdom of God is where his, let's get that going forward here. We can do it. Come on. There we go. His rule and his reign exist. The rule of God in the hearts of men. The reign of God over their lives as Lord. 
You see, the kingdom of God is not a physical kingdom as we well know. It's not this, this uh, great castle that sits on the hill somewhere in Europe with the king and the queen and the knaves and uh, servants gathering around and, and music playing. Uh, in, in a physical sense, God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. And it's not according to geography as much as it is within the individual lives of people on the face of the earth where God rules in their hearts. And he reigns over them as Lord. And this is the kingdom of God that he has been so desirous of, not just from the New Testament time, but way back from the Old Testament time. Real quickly, we're going to run through just a couple of stories. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. But uh, we, we know these stories well. But David and Goliath, the story of David and Goliath is not so much about this little boy or this young man who defeats the enemy with a sling and a stone. But rather, this is about God making himself known among the Philistines. God wants his kingdom to expand upon the face of the earth. And God is desirous that the Philistines come to know about his true nature, his power, his might as the one and only God. As we look through the story of Jonah and this great big fish, we'll call him the whale for the sake of the story. But it's not about this man who is a prophet of God and fleeing from God. Uh, in, in what he's having him to do is the task at hand. But rather, uh, he, he goes to another direction with this great storm. It's not about him being thrown off and being swallowed up by this big fish and three days later just spewed out onto dry land. And thus, the people in this one town are safe. That's a story, and that's great, but that's just a lower-lying story of what we see. The bigger picture of what God is doing here has to deal with his kingdom. You see, God is desirous that the people of Nineveh, the Ninevites, come to know about him. In fact, this is exactly what happened. What do we read in Jonah, the third chapter? We read verse 5 that the Ninevites believed God because of this. As Jonah eventually got to those people, told them to repent of their ways, the Ninevites, pagans, believed in God. And a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth, a form of mourning because of their sins and the, and the wrong that they've done towards the Almighty God. The king heard about this, and he put a decree out in verse 8, but let the people and animals, even the animals, put on sackcloth, let everyone call urgently on God, and let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And so now the kingdom of God expands to the Ninevites. Again, not a story so much about a man in the belly of a fish. It's about God's kingdom being made known among a group of people known as the Ninevites. What about Moses and the parting of the Red Sea? We know the story well. When they arrive at the shores of, of this uh, Red Sea, this great body of water, and the waters part, it's not so much about God's provision and allowing them to cross over into the dry land and providing this safety and security from the uh, 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 Pharaoh's uh, army that is pursuing them. And bringing them victory and thus then the waters swallow up uh, Pharaoh's army. That's a great story and there's a great uh, uh, amount of uh, applications that can be presented in this. But what is the big picture of what's going on here? It's about God making himself known to another group of people. The Egyptians, God's might and his power that he is the one true living God. And then we read about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. We know that story as well, most probably. It's not so much a story about God protecting of, of those who, who love him and follow him. As we know, as they, they uh, left that fiery furnace, not a, not a hair on their head was, was uh, touched. Uh, they were fine and that uh, uh, God gave his provision. A great application, but the bigger story of what's going on with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was again about God's kingdom. God was desiring his kingdom to spread among another group of people. This group of people known as the Babylonians. 
Oops, wow, we really went forward a lot there. <laughs> it's about God making himself known among the Babylonians. And so we read uh, uh, in, in Scripture in Daniel chapter 3 that the king of the Babylonian Empire, Nebuchadnezzar, said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants, made such an impact that the kingdom of God that day spread among the Babylonians. God's kingdom has actively been at work in the Old Testament times. We've seen God uh, over and over again make himself known among the nations of the earth. So through David and Goliath, it's more about the Philistines. Jonah and the whale, about the Ninevites. Moses parting the Red Sea. It's more about the Egyptians. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's more about the Babylonians. What does all this have to deal uh, with the kingdom? It's that God makes himself known through his servants, one way or another, in the peoples of the earth. Well, now, what about the New Testament? You know, we've, uh, we've taken a look at the Old Testament here, but what has God actually been doing in the times of the New Testament? That we're maybe a little bit more familiar with. In the New Testament, we see primarily Jesus highlighting the responsibility of the church, which Doug has just shared in a couple of verses with us, in Matthew as well as in the book of Acts. In the New Testament, Jesus highlights the responsibility of the church to help extend his kingdom here on the earth. He has given us that authority. He's given us, the church, that power to do so. And where else do we find this truth more ever to be evident uh, than what is called the Great Commission? For emphasis here, I'm going to read through that one more time, even though Doug went through that. I'll read it quickly. In this Great Commission, Jesus is about ready to leave this earth. He's not uh, fully ascended or ready to ascend, but he's close to that period, the end uh, towards of his ministry, and he calls together his disciples. So then Jesus came to them his disciples, and he said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then as Mike shared with us in our devotional for the communion time, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. It's significant to point out here that Jesus empowers his disciples to make disciples. And that's the process of discipleship. That's the method that God is now desirous of for his church, for us to go out into the world to make disciples who will make disciples. Jesus just isn't calling out these 11 men only, but he's calling out these 11 men in their role as a disciple. And so for, that, that, for us, that transcends into today's time for you and I to have likewise that same commission, that same authority. All authority, Jesus says. Can you imagine? In a physical form, Jesus saying, I'm giving you all authority. Whoa. Jesus gives us authority as the church to go into the world, to extend his kingdom among the nations of the earth. But what has been done then since the time of the early church? We'll move on to this. What has happened over the period of history from the time of the first century church up until present day. If I can get this working. I feel like I'm kind of battling a, a sword fight here. We'll get it working. I'm having a little trouble with the connection here. God's desire actually has been to use the church. But what has the church actually been doing? Well, uh, most of us are a little fuzzy in our approach to church history from the time of the first century church to present day. We may know a little bit about what God has been doing, but uh, it's fuzzy for us. Some of us think about this maybe, and it's called like the Bobo theory in an acronym, B-O-B-O, where the Christian faith has blinked out when the disciples gave their lives in the first century church, and then it blinked back on again 
when we live in present day time. But yet this gap of some 2,000 years, what happened? What's happened over these 2,000 years? God has been actively at work with his church, with his people, to spread the good news, the gospel of the kingdom to the nations of the earth. Men and women have been faithful in giving even of their lives for the sake of this good news to go. However, there have been those who have not gone and shared the good news when they should have. And as a result of that, God still has been actively involved in bringing all peoples to himself through his church, but maybe not in a way that we think. Sometimes God... Let's get this going forward here a little bit. Sometimes God has used his church voluntarily to go. Men and women, people, churches, groups, whomever they might be, go to the places of the world where the Lord has called them to go to help fulfill this great commission, to help extend the gospel of the kingdom. But oftentimes, God has called individuals, but they've not gone. Does that mean God has not used them? Well, as we see through history, God has used them, but in ways that we don't understand from a different perspective. Let's take a look at, for example, the Roman Empire. Back in the third century, from the time, uh, just two centuries after the church, the New Testament was written, the church was told to go make disciples of all the nations, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Two centuries. They were faithful in fulfilling that mission to a degree. How do we know this? Because they actually extended into Rome. And actually, in the third century, uh, A.D., the Roman Empire became a Christian nation. Just think about that. Two centuries prior to this, the Romans were the bad guys. The Romans were the ones that everyone despised and rejected. These were the pagan worshipers of who knows whatever gods and the pagan gods that they had in the times of their day. But yet two centuries? Christians made such an influence in Rome that the entirety of the Roman Empire now officially called Christianity as their religion. However, they didn't go beyond that. There began a period of complacency, of comfort. Oh, thank you for what you've done. We know there are other places that need to know about you, but we are just so thankful for what you're doing for us, what you've done for us. And they focus upon themselves rather than sharing that blessing with the nations around them. And so as a result of this, what do we see that's happened throughout history? Quite possibly as part of God's plan to use his church to carry out to among the nations of the earth, there have been then the Celts or the Celtics and the Goths that came in and actually invaded Rome, if you look in, in, in history. And when they invaded Rome, they took with them believers. They took with them captives, Christian men, women, children, mostly women and children, back with them to their pagan lands. And over a period of time, what has happened? Those believers from within Rome who were uh, captives, they began to actually make an influence on that society where eventually the, 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 the Celtics, the, the, the Celts, and the, and the Goths became believers in the one true God. So did they go voluntarily? No, they went involuntarily, but God still used his people. God still used his church. And as a continuation from that, the Goths now basking in their newfound faith, the relationship that they have with the one true God, likewise with, with the Celts, uh, they began uh, focusing on themselves and not upon the neighboring nations and communities and peoples that they need to extend further to the north. And what do we read? What happens through history? God, once again, uses his church, but not in a way that we would desire. Instead of God's people going, it's the Vikings, these barbarians who come and they conquer the lands of these Celts and uh, of the Goths. And likewise, believers now go and fight as captives into their lands among the Viking nations. But over a period of time, 
that Christianity begins to, uh, to be like um, uh, yeast in, in bread and it begins to flow throughout the community and all of a sudden the good news of the kingdom is spread. Not because someone went but because someone came captured them and this good news actually went in an involuntary manner. God continues to use his church and has throughout history. If, we read stu- uh, if we're students of history, we, we can see this so clearly in God's movement in his hand. He's commissioned us to go. He's highlighted, Jesus has highlighted the responsibility of the church. And whether we go voluntarily or involuntarily, he will get this job done. As we think about Europe, now with the majority of Europe living under one Christian uh, commonality, Christian faith, What do they begin to do? They begin reaching out, trying to conquer the lands, but yet they do this by force and brute force. And we have the bloodshed, as we well know, through this pseudo-mission to the Muslims and trying to convert them by force. And eventually all of Europe then begins reaching out to the very ends of the earth. And as part of this expansion in Europe of Christianity comes the New World. Where, the new, where those who are sent into the new world, partially because it might be financially beneficial to see what's in this new land, but also in a spiritual sense, they send them off into the new land. And thus the gospel of the kingdom has come into this location, which we call home in the Western Hemisphere. Some 250 years ago, within the United States, we have had this blessing given to us. What have we been doing with the blessing that God has given us? Have we been like those of the past who have gone voluntarily? Or is it quite possibly we are not voluntarily going and will there be something that will be in store for us in the future? We do not know. But I believe quite possibly what happens with us in the West for the future will depend upon how well we embrace our responsibility as the church to carry out this great commission, to extend God's kingdom so that his rule and his reign is in the hearts and lives of the peoples and the tribes upon the earth. Ralph Winner, a veteran missionary and missions professor at Fuller Theological Seminary and also founder for an institute called the U.S. Center for World Missions, writes a profound uh, article as he uh, talks about this very concept of the West and our role, what might happen in the future. Let's move on to this last part. He writes, If we in the West insist on keeping our blessing instead of sharing it, Then will we, like other nations before us, such as Israel and Rome, etc., perhaps have to lose our blessing in order for the remaining nations to receive it? God has not changed his plan in the last 4,000 years. God has been actively involved in the same way through those who voluntarily go or involuntarily go. But he continues on to write, but how much better not to focus on how to retain the blessings of God for ourselves but rather to strive intentionally to extend that marvelous blessing to others. So God's kingdom has been expanding throughout the world, voluntarily or involuntarily through his people. It's been nearly 2,000 years ago since we've been commissioned as the church to carry out this great commission. But the question might be asked, well, how are we doing with fulfilling that task? Certainly 2,000 years since the time of Christ to be his instruments to extend the kingdom. That, in, in the day in which we live, everyone has had that opportunity. And there are most places in the world, aren't there, where there are believers and followers of Christ? Well, I'm here to tell you today that there are places in the world where many people have never heard of the name of Jesus even for the very first time. It's hard to believe in the, in the world in which we live with our technology 
As time passes on, so instantaneously we can get on our devices and find people, there are peoples in the world, in pockets, in groups, in entire nations, as far as tribes, who have never heard the name of Jesus. There are many. There are many. I know very first time I went to the country of Nepal, I went to a uh, large lake in kind of a touristy area and had a young man that actually was rowing the boat for me out into the middle of the lake. And as we got out into the middle of the lake, uh, the director now of our ministry uh, just asked that we stop the boat and I share with this man about uh, the, the person of Jesus. And so I began the very simple question. I said, have you ever heard of a man named Jesus? And he looked at me with a shrug and uh, eyebrows looking intently in his eyes at me like, no, who is this man? There are people like this man who are representative of entire communities, of entire villages, of entire tribes, ethnic groups throughout the world, who have yet even for the very first time to hear the name of Jesus. And there are reasons why these places are unreached. It's just not by chance. Some of these places are very difficult to get to. Some of these places, there are, uh, there's immense persecution against Christianity in general. People will know about Christianity, yet not know about Christ. And so before they get to know about Christ, they reject Christianity. And sometimes, oftentimes, that's done through persecution. Earlier this year, I had a chance with a couple of others to travel uh, into Myanmar. And there we were working with one unreached people in the western section of the country. Um, and in this group of people, there are probably 1,900 people of this tribe that exist in, in the world. But yet, no churches, no believers, no Bibles, as Jared has shared earlier on. Our desire has been for the church to start, for the kingdom of God. Just like these other places we see through the Old Testament, just like throughout history, of peoples that now come to know about this king. Our desire is to see the kingdom of God spread among that place. That's why we went and we were sharing and working with our leaders there. Just heard word this week. Got a, got a message from one of our workers there saying that this night, tonight as I write to you, uh, I'm, I'm, in, uh, I'm fleeing because some came from my village and threatened to kill me and to stop and immediately for me to stop uh, sharing what I'm sharing about this foreign God. This is the 21st century. This is reality. This still does happen in our world today. And so there's a lot of persecution, and there are many, many reasons beyond that even why these places are unreached. But nonetheless, they are unreached. And yet we have that responsibility to spread the good news of the kingdom to these places in the world. In the world today, there are some 15,000 nations. And by nations, I'm not referring to countries with geopolitical boundaries, um, such as the countries you would find in the Western Hemisphere, North America, or in Europe, or into Asia. But these are peoples, people groups that are defined by their ethnicity, by their language, by their culture. This is the biblical concept. When, when you see, by the way, nation represented, they're not talking about countries. They're talking about tribes, or clans, or groups of people. And in the world today, as best as we can find out and best we can gather, there's some 15,000 nations or people groups in the world. And of these 15,000, there are approximately 7,000 of them that we would consider to be unreached, meaning that they have oftentimes no access to, to the Bible, believers, or uh, 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 a church in their area. Many of these places uh, meet secretively in their homes and underground. Many of them are persecuted for their faith. Many of them are in some of the remotest places. There are reasons why they're there, but yet they're still unreached. And we ask, well, the question, what can we do? What is it that can be our part in this? You know, oftentimes as I share with people about the places in the world that have no access or little access to the gospel, 
They say, well, I've not been called to do something like that, and I admire what you do, but at the least what I can do is pray for you, and I, I will pray for you. And I have to correct them because I don't say, well, I don't believe that's the least of what you can do. Prayer is not the least in the kingdom and in kingdom work. Prayer is the greatest thing that we can do. Through the power of prayer, mountains are moved. Through the power of prayer, hardened hearts are softened. Through the power of prayer, movements of God's spirit begin among the peoples of the earth. God does mighty and miraculous things that can be proclaimed today. Through the power of prayer of his people, the kingdom extends throughout these tough and difficult regions of the world. So prayer, the least thing by no means. Prayer is one of the greatest things that we can do. And so today, as uh, we leave from this place in just a moment in our time of worship, you will find in your bulletins a certificate, a 30-day a certificate of prayer. We would like for you to just take a look at that in just a moment. If you didn't get one of these, as you leave out uh, the doors, there'll be some on the table, and then there's some out by this large wall that's out there. You'll notice a prayer wall of some uh, uh, five to 7,000 names that are located on the prayer wall. These are the peoples who have yet to be reached with the good news of the gospel. And you have an important role in this. God is going to allow us to pray for breakthroughs among these people. And as this wall contains so many names, you would think, well, how in the world would I ever know where to pick a group and a location? And do I throw a dart, you know, on this giant map and just uh, think that's the one? Well, we've kind of made it easy to start. If you look on your uh, prayer certificate, the first section there for your first people group has been filled in for you. You have, should have unique names on there. Why has that been pre-filled? Well, because our mission partners here at Plum Creek, these are peoples or tribes or nations whom our mission partners are working with, trying to see the kingdom of God move into those locations. So you can be praying for that specific people group, knowing that one of our mission partners is working with that group. And we would ask, as we leave from this place, go and try to find that people group on that wall. And right there at the wall, pray for that people group. There'll be several out there by the wall who will be able to assist you in locating where this people group is, because it is a big list of names, but just to give you a little hint, you know, just like in the Bible with big numbers and little numbers being chapters and verses, well, uh, in terms of the font size, if you see the larger fonts, it's all alphabetical according to country, and then in the, the smaller font sizes are the people groups under that country, so you should be able to find them. But I want to direct your attention, there's a second blank square, or a rectangle here. What is that about? We would like to ask, after you finish praying for that people group with one of our mission partners that's, that's working in that location, just choose among those five to 7,000 names that are on there a people group to pray for. Get a pen from off of the table out there, write that per people group's name, go to the wall, and then begin praying right then uh, on site for that people group. And so as you would leave from this place, you will have two people groups with whom you'll be praying over the next 30 days. At the very bottom are some resources that will help you to find out more about uh, that country and more specifically about that people group. So definitely look at the, those uh, sites. We would encourage you to go uh, through that. But uh, as, as we pray over these next 30 days, keep in mind there are many things that we can be praying for. Oftentimes we don't know how to pray or what to pray. But some of the things that we can be praying about is that God would raise up the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's. People of faith to go out despite all odds, no matter what the government says in the countries where they exist, because they know of the one true mighty and powerful God. Pray for the Jonas, the Moseses, the Davids out there who will be bold in, in, in the face of opposition in the spiritual realm so that the kingdom of God might be spread. Pray for those who are persecuted. And maybe not so much that 
God takes away that persecution, but that God would somehow protect them in the persecution. Because oftentimes through persecution is when the church grows that we find. So pray for God's will to be done in times of persecution. Pray for more laborers in the field and into the harvest. Ask the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into the field. Pray that we might be able to find as we go to identify these places and workers throughout the world go to these places to find at least a person of peace, someone who will welcome them in and be open to receiving them and hearing about the good news of the kingdom. And pray also, if by chance there's a small pocket of believers among these people groups, that God would use them to be salt and light in their community, sufficient enough that they can extend throughout that people group so that that group would now enter in into the kingdom of heaven. We've been commissioned. We've been given authority to get involved with the kingdom and spreading the kingdom throughout the earth. I pray that the Lord will find us faithful, that we as a body of believers here at Plum Creek and we as body believers around the world will not kick this can down the road for another generation. There are people for all eternity whose lives, eternal lives, are hinged upon what we do as the church and God has instilled that within us. Let's be faithful. Let's get involved and let's help finish this task of reaching the nations of the earth and let's do so by beginning to pray for them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for inviting us into your global work. We know so easily you could have implanted within the hearts of men a knowledge of you and an automatic desire to serve you, but you knew that that wasn't going to be real. You knew that that would be mechanical. It wouldn't come from the heart because you're desirous that men and women from all over and on their own accord allow you to be the one who rules and reigns in their life. Lord, we pray for these unreached nations of the world. Lord, may you raise up workers. May you use us as well as a body to, to begin praying for more workers. Lord, just move and act in ways only you can so that at the, the time of history, as we look back, we can see you moving and we see a way that we've had a part in that. Lord, we do this all for your glory and your honor. You've called us to do so. You've commissioned us to do so. Now help us to be faithful in voluntarily doing what you've called us to do. And so for these things today, we thank you for inviting us into your work, and we pray in Jesus' name.